Hi. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. Hey, everybody. Everything's fine. Hey, everything's fine. Relax. Everything is just fine. All right. It is Wanko Wednesday, baby. I'm joined here every Wednesday by Bob Wankel. Fair to call it a Mother Nature game last night? That should just be eradicated from the record books? Yeah, the the rain is the only thing that could stop the Philadelphia Phillies and their longest winning streak in 10 years. Um, tell you what, it looked like we were we were about to get one of the, the best games of the season last night, the way that Scherzer and Nola were kind of going at it head-to-head. And... Yeah, you know, I was sitting next to Howard Eskin, and he goes, it looks like it might rain out there. And I said, nah. I was like, look at my app. And I take out the cell phone app, and I go 15%, you know, 15%. And he looks at me. He's like, I might go down and uh, check it out from the stands. And then, like, 20 minutes later, it's like, whoosh, like, out of nowhere. So, yeah, the rain the rain definitely messed that game up last night uh, on a lot of different levels, and uh, the Phillies had nothing after they came back. Let's not look into it, though. If you ask me, they're still on an eight-game win streak. They're an eight-game win streak when the weather doesn't come in and blow them off the field. So. Exactly. Hey, how was Sunday? How was Sunday not only seeing Roy Holiday get his jersey retired? How was Sunday making the skip cry? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Um, so I guess I, my, my guess is uh, I just asked, hey, like, what did you think of Zach today? I think that was my question. Like, that was it. It was the most basic 101 Awful question, because I'm usually so long-winded, as you know. I was like, let me just be very short and to the point and just see what he does with it. I was not expecting him to get choked up, and I guess he had, like, an emotional post-game discussion with somebody, and that just carried over into the press conference, because the question itself certainly was not an emotional question. He's a crier, though. I actually looked back. uh, I searched on YouTube, Joe Girardi crying. Uh, the Alex Rodriguez retirement, the uh, CC Sabathia retirement. When he uh, when they went down 2-0 in the playoffs when he was on the Yankees, he started crying in that press conference when they went up 2-2 or when they tied it 2-2. Joe Girardi's a crier, but it kind of felt like you ever give your dad or mom a present at Christmas and they start tearing up and you're and like I'm not a big crier, so like I never know what to do with my hands. I feel like I have to like pick something up and like read something because it just gets so fucking awkward. Like Joe, like you're you're exactly right. He just like started going, and I was like, oh, like I felt dirty watching it a little bit. Well, if you look at the actual Zoom footage, like after every <laughs> press conference, they send it out to us, so you can don't you, see this on TV. Can you get it? Come on, can no, you send it to me to clip it? No, it's it's. You see him the way that we see him, but when he pauses before he gets emotional, right? And so I'm like this, like reaching for my screen because I thought that the Zoom had paused. Like I thought my computer froze. And honestly, I was walking out and one of the other writers said to me, they're like, I thought, I thought my Zoom froze. And I was like, yeah, me too. Um, but you know what? It was a great answer. Like it was, it was cool to see the guy be emotional and be honest like that. And, you know – it was certainly genuine. Like he was definitely feeling those things. And so uh, it was a cool little moment, honestly, on a really uh, probably the high watermark best moment or one of the best days of the entire season for the team. Are you an emotional guy when you manage? I have not. Well, (laughs) that's a good question. 
uh, in the moment, like in the game. Like I can I'm see a, you giving a speech, a passionate speech, and maybe a little like you're holding back a little bit. Like, and then yeah, I'm definitely getting some kids' um, ass. Yeah, I'm definitely like a uh, motivator. You know, yeah. like, I, I don't say that to be full of myself, but like there are strengths that every manager or coach has. I don't know that in terms of like, hey, your elbows here and it should be here. Like, am I the best guy when it comes to that stuff? Probably not, but. Uh, I definitely am tough on players, but I'm also very, very, like, emotionally supportive as well. So, yeah, I, I would say so. And we've had some tough losses at the end of seasons, and kids are crying, and I get a little choked up. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say I'm definitely more on the emotional side of things. All right, so you can relate to Skip. I can relate a little bit, for sure. How was it watching uh, the retirement, though? I mean, so a lot of people said this on on Twitter and on the broadcast. The Phillies are really second to none when it comes to uh, retirements and bringing their uh, former players back. Yeah, they did a great job with it, and they always do a great job with these things. Um, you know, you have the, the 34 uh, statue or whatever you want to call that thing out there, and that, that was a pretty cool moment with Carlos Ruiz and John Middleton. And the whole ceremony is great. Um, Raul Banez was really good, I thought. Uh, obviously, it was a little bit – you know, a, a bummer that uh, his family couldn't be there. His wife and kids weren't able to come up. I guess they had been in contact with somebody that tested positive for COVID. Um, so that that obviously was a little bit of a bummer. The only thing I, and we talked about, should Roy Halladay's number be retired? I know that's been a topic of discussion amongst a lot of people this week. You know, the only thing I'll say is, like, you saw him be inducted to the Wall of Fame. You saw the Hall of Fame speech. Like, you've seen a lot of things about Roy Halladay. So mm -hmm. it was kind of just like, Okay, that's that's the final one now. Um, but it was it was a good moment. And then Zach Wheeler to do what he did following it up yeah. was just uh, unbelievable. So Wheeler's a Cy Young favorite right now. Bryce Harper number two in the MVP race. What do you think are the chances? I, I think I was reading some stuff like baseball writers. They love they love the advanced stats. They love the stats, but they also love the narrative. And I sure. feel like Zach Wheeler might have just written his narrative for the season going out there and pitching like he did on Roy Holiday, Jersey retirement night that Mar I had Mark Henry on uh, this week. And he was like, people will be talking about that for the next five days until his start and whatnot. Does Bryce have a narrative? Because is it that home run against, uh, against the Mets when, you know, he hit it 442, 422, whatever it was. Yeah. So back to Wheeler for a second. Yeah. The numbers play out, right? Like, his numbers, the, the amount of innings that he's thrown, the strikeouts, the war, like, a lot of different numbers just across the board. He's top five, top ten. And to me, at this point, when you consider the workload, you consider the narrative element of it, he goes out there and just absolutely dominates a two-hitter, complete game shutout against the Mets. 14th career double-digit strikeout start. Uh, right now, for my money, he's the clear favorite, like the clear favorite. Like Jacob DeGrom cannot get back into it with six more starts mm -hmm. down the stretch. Uh, Gosman has fallen off a little bit. You know, Woodruff has had a really nice year. Uh, Burns has had a really nice year in Milwaukee. I just don't think that they can touch what Zach Wheeler's done. That being said, and this plays into Bryce Harper as well, if these guys don't make the playoffs mm -hmm. and they have like a September collapse against a, a very easy schedule, I think that that's – Certainly something that can derail this. Um, as far as Harper goes, like, Friday night was a great moment. He's going to have to have a bunch of them. You know, mm -hmm. like, with Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back, like, to me, he's still the favorite. Bryce Harper's numbers have been insane. 
But, like, the Phillies have to make the postseason, and Bryce Harper has to have, I'd say, either equally insane numbers that he's put up dating back to July 1st, or he's going to have to have a handful of those narrative-driven moments in order to win the MVP. I would not bet on Bryce Harper if all things were equal right now to win the MVP. I would with, with Zach Wheeler to win the Cy Young. Were you in the building that night? What was it, Friday or Saturday when he hit that big home run? Yeah, I was there all three games uh, for the Mets series, and I was there uh, last night for the uh, Dodgers opener. What was it like, the Mets series? I'll tell you what, man. Friday night, a lot of people there. It was like a nice a little uptick in attendance. A lot of Mets fans, though. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, in a way, that was kind of what made the home run like more, I think, electric within the ballpark. It wasn't the sheer volume of fans, but it was like this back and forth in the early innings. And to see him hit that home run kind of as an exclamation point on that game, you can feel those juices. There's like that rivalry sort of like returning a little bit. And it was a, it was definitely a cool moment. Same thing Saturday. You know, Phillies dominated that game for eight innings Saturday, but there were a ton of Mets fans there. I mean, like a lot of Mets fans. And as you, I think, uh, among some other people pointed out, they were fighting each other in the stands at one point. Um, but then Sunday, it just kind of culminated. It was like almost, a, I would say, 95% Phillies crowd, and it was electric. I mean, the crowd was awesome on Sunday. Are we finally going to take the Chicago Cubs Grand Slam on the NBC Sports Package and put the Friday night home run in there? Yeah, well, they're going to continue to use that that Cubs Grand Slam just because of the powder blues, I think. The powder blues are <laughs> – it is a beautiful shot. The powder uh, blues give that, that moment a little bit more clout, I guess, but uh, – yeah, I mean, like, it's time. Like, I think we had this conversation. Like, you have to turn the page beyond 2019 and a grand slam in a season that was absolutely meaningless and met a dead end, like, two weeks later. <laughs> Were we too hard on the Phillies in the beginning of the season? No. Okay. No. I thought this, that was going to be your answer. This team's not very good. Um, Stop! Come on! Listen, like, you can, you can say multiple things. Like, here you go. Ready? Like, let's work through the chain. The Phillies were a fundamentally flawed and underachieving team for four months. They go out and they beat the hell out of the Pirates after losing two games to them. They take care of a triple-A Nationals team. And the Mets are among, I would say, one of the most dreadful teams in baseball over the last month. So, like, what the Phillies did was something that they don't usually do, which is beat bad teams. And that's good. That's a good thing. They deserve credit for that. And you're seeing guys step up, and Ronald Torres is having moments, and Bryce Harper's having moments. And there's a lot of good things here that are happening. They're good enough to win this division. Like, the Phillies can win the NL East. Are they a good baseball team? No. Like, and eight days and eight wins doesn't change the fact that they're not that good. They're injured. Their bullpen sucks. They lost their third starter. Their fourth and fifth are non-existent. They're moving parts all around, and they're still winning. I know they're not maybe winning against the competition that Bob Wankel would please. I think this team is a little bit better than we give them credit for. Maybe. I mean, like, at full strength, if everything's clicking, like, I'm not talking about, like, the ideal version of the 2021 Phillies. I'm talking about what they currently are. And what they currently are is a team that's missing, uh, you know, its second-best hitter right now or third-best hitter. Um, you know, and, and he just went on the IL. So, like, how, how soon will he be back? They should get Andrew McCutcheon back maybe tonight. Um, so that would, be, that would be a big boost for them. Mm-hmm. But like you said, with the starting rotation, I, I just can't get over the fact that, Right now, 
Zach Eflin is not back and, and hasn't pitched in essentially a month, and you probably won't see the guy until September at this rate or the very end of August. And the bullpen just has a number of arms still that, that aren't particularly, uh, you know, something that you should believe in. So they have an easy schedule down the stretch. They have a handful of very good players that are more than capable of dragging them to the finish line. They could probably win 85, 86 games at this point. Like, I don't think that's unrealistic. But the thing you have to kind of keep in mind here is you look at the, the Dodgers. And I think, and I might have the number wrong, but I think their run differential is like, plus 176 right now the Phillies are minus 10 like the Dodgers have 186 run better a better run differential than the Phillies do right now like that is an elite team like that is what a a machine looks like and even if you look at the other division leaders they all have like plus 90 plus 100 more than 100 run differentials. The Phillies are negative 10. Like that's a that's a basically a team that is a game or two under 500 when you when you hash that out more often than not. Citizens Bank Park, very hittable park. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this team. And last night does nothing to dissuade me from their their recent surge. Like I don't yeah. care that they lost five nothing last night. Max Scherzer is really good. They're playing shorthanded. You can't win them all. Whatever. In fact, I actually walked away from last night's game probably more encouraged than I otherwise would have been with pretty much any other outcome because Aaron Nola last night for four innings, and I know it was only 51 pitches and he got, you know, rained off the field, looked like the best Aaron Nola that we've seen. I mean, his curveball was unbelievable. He was able to play his fastball off of it. That's what you dream on as a Phillies fan. Like, if they can get this version of Aaron Nola or something close to it, then all of a sudden you got a shot. Like, if you get into the postseason, you pair Wheeler and Nola together, like, you can hang in games. He made a very good offense, an offense that leads the National League in run scored per game, just look completely helpless last night. And that's encouraging. It was a very easy under last night, and I was too much of a pussy to take it, and I regret that. Because it's like one of those ones where it's like you look at it, and you're like, this is, gonna, this is going under. And then it ends up being like 10-7 somehow because the bullpen from seven to the ninth inning – give up 20 runs. Yeah. Um, the Alec Bohm saga. Does Freddie Galvis play more down the stretch than Alec Bohm when he returns? Does Bohm start when certain pitchers take them out? Maybe a Kyle Gibson, Freddie Galvis starts, or they move toe over to third, or uh, people were talking about Segura moving over to third because he played there a couple times last year and whatnot. What's kind of the situation when Galvis returns? Do we do a, an NBA, an offense-defense? You know, they get up 5 nothing, top of the seventh, Galvis comes in for Bohm and whatnot because they don't need the offense anymore. What are you thinking about that when, Gal- when Galvis comes back? I think so much of this depends on what happens with D.D. Gregorius. Like, can D.D. Gregorius stay in the lineup and hit enough to justify him starting the majority of games at shortstop? If, if he can't, then he may lose his starting spot outright to, and Girardi has some options here because you can go with Ronald Torres or you can go with Freddie Galvis. Like, if, if D.D. Gregorius, though, can't validate his existence as an offensive presence, I think that really changes things. Now, if Gregorius can stay in the lineup and he can hit a little bit and give Girardi a reason to put him in the lineup on a consistent basis, then it gets interesting. Like, do you start out boom against lefties uh, and, you know, let him try to do his thing there? Do you play him early in games? Because the guy has hit over 300 now for a fairly prolonged stretch, even though he hasn't had a ton of power. Like, you have to keep your offense in the lineup at points. So, like you said, do you use Galvis and or Torres as late-inning defensive replacements? 
Maybe you do that if you're up a run, you're up a couple runs late in game, sixth, seventh inning, you get them out of there. I could definitely see that happening. I think that that's probably what is going to often happen. Like, if the Phillies are leading a game in the seventh inning or later, I don't think that you're going to see Alec Boehm at third base very much down the stretch. Um, so, yeah, that's what I think is going to happen. But I certainly think that both Ronald Torres and Freddie Galvis will play at times at shortstop and at third base, and I think there could be a mixing and matching. I don't see Gene Segura coming over from second base. Mm-hmm. I think that he's been fantastic yeah. there. I think that this is a situation where you just say, we're really solid in this spot. Let's not mess with it. We have other options. What do you think about the, uh, the Matt Gell piece? Freddie Galvis is kind of like the, the Dr. Melfi of the Phillies right now. Like everybody just wants to talk to him. Like you just come in, say you work sanitation and you just like, you know, you're getting your, your headspace cleared and whatnot. He's helping boom. He's helping Torres. He's talking to all the young guys. He's kind of the missing link that like connects the winning Phillies back in 08 to the now Phillies that have made transitions to try to get back to winning. And then second question for you. What do you think about the note that uh, Harper isn't the most vocal leader and guys are kind of scared to talk to him and, and scared to challenge him on things? Does it, does it matter? No, um, I don't think so. I mean, Bryce Harper is like a rah-rah guy on the field and like an energy guy on the field, but he doesn't strike me as somebody that's, that's going up to everyone and having these prolonged deep dive conversations, and that's okay um, as long as you as long as you produce, like yeah. as long as you play, you know. Uh, as far as Freddie Galvis goes, though, like, yeah, like he's, he's just got that energetic, magnetic personality. Um, and one of the things that I know that we've talked about uh, on the show is just kind of like I've said, this team doesn't have like killers. Sometimes like I wonder about the personality of the team. Like it just doesn't seem to have like that edge um, or that, that right vibe all the time. So Freddie Galvis, a guy like that coming in, I think can, can be a really big positive, especially for younger players. And, you know, you look at the way that Bryce Harper uh, talked about him. You look at the way some of the veterans feel and talk about him and the respect that he kind of commands. Um, you know, it, I think that that is uh, maybe some type of – what's the word I'm looking for? Some intangible or, like, unquantifiable uh, boost that this team can receive by his presence. Um, but really, it, it's, it comes down to what you do on the field and, and your production on the field. You excited for the, uh, the Iowa game? I've never seen Field of Dreams. Really? I've never seen Field of Dreams. And I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm yeah. a huge baseball movie guy. Like, I've seen Rookie of the Year probably 35 times, Little Big League 50 times, the Major League movies 100 times, Bull Durham dozens of times. Hell, I've even seen – have you seen For the Love of the Game? It's like Kevin Costner, and he's pitching like a perfect game against the Tigers, like, and he's like 42 years old. And it's at Yankee Stadium. It's it's not a very good movie. Um, but, like, I like that movie. Like, I've watched that movie ten times. The Natural? Sam, the Natural I've watched. I've never seen Field of Dreams. I think I get it. Like, yeah. Cornfield in Iowa, like, father-son trying to, you know, connect. And if you build it, they'll come. I'm good. I think you got the cliff notes. Yeah. I'm yeah. good. I'm Biggest story in baseball this week. What'd you think of the the Barstool MLB potential partnership to broadcast games? I'll give you one thing. I think this is the smartest thing Rob Manfred has done since he's gotten there. He totally released that just to gauge the reaction that uh, that they were going to get. Yeah, like, I don't know. I know that there's a group of people uh, online, especially that, that – everything's negative with Barstool. It's the worst. It's terrible. I don't know. I don't really feel that way. I mean, they've got issues in that company. We've come to find out over the years that a lot of big companies have some issues. Many companies have 
big issues. Um, that does not bother me at all. I mean, I actually think that if you're trying to appeal to a different audience, a younger audience, you know, that, that the idea is, is fine, you know, and Barstool's turned into a very viable company. Like you may hate them. Uh, you know, you may love them. I, you may be somewhere in between, but Barstool's a legit company that is having a lot of success in various spaces, uh, like a lot of big time spaces. So that being said, I mean, it's a natural thing for MLB to look at. It just is. You know, I understand there's some complications in the way people feel about it, but I think it's a very smart thing to at least investigate. Isn't this kind of a testament to how bad they are, the MLB, being at hiring talent? I mean, you have a, you have a network dedicated to your game, and you can hire and find talent that are good enough. Like, hey, listen, if you don't want to do Barstool, maybe do John Boy, but is John Boy really going to – you know, get the eyeballs on it. Or maybe you you find, you know, personalities and whatnot that you want to uh, put on a show or a gambling show. Um, I just think this is kind of a testament that the MLB just, not only can they not market their athletes, they can't market their own talent. I mean, who is on MLB Network? Harold Baines, Harold Reigns, whatever the one he is. That's the only guy I can think of. Harold Reynolds. Harold Reynolds, <laughs> yes. See, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so baseball, I think, historically has struggled to market itself. Like, there's no no denying that. Um, they've gotten better at social media in recent years. I think that they found some players that they feel like that they can market a little bit better. It seems like they're having a lot of success around Tatis. Uh, I think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has done, uh, you know, his, his emergence has been something that they can market. They really – when people say they struggle to market stars, you know what I really think that they're saying is like they've struggled to market Mike Trout. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's like more about Mike Trout and like their inability to like make him a thing. Like, you look at the numbers and you see what he does every night, and like they've just really struggled. Shohei Otani, they've done a great job with. Like, they've marketed the hell out of him, and they, he's drawn a lot of eyeballs and attention. The home run derby had a little extra ju- juice to it because of Otani. You know, the All Star game, he's hitting, he's pitching. You know, I don't know that people really tuned in beyond that, but I think that they were able to generate some buzz around Otani. Harper at times, like, I think they want Bryce Harper to put up those video game numbers because they can market that. Mm-hmm. But to your point across the board, no, baseball has definitely struggled with it. MLB Network is not very good. Uh, the programming is, is very okay. It's tough to break um, down baseball, too. It's, it's not fun to, like, yeah. watch Harold Reynolds – talk about an 0-2 curveball and how to, how to approach it at the plate. Yeah, and, and honestly, again, like the volume of the games. Like, so with the NFL, like the, the thing that the NFL – the NFL does a lot of things well. Markets itself well. Brands itself well. The game's just entertaining. The betting element is huge. But, like, the NFL has the added benefit of just the ebb and flow of a week, right? Like, there's the game. And then there's the Monday, Tuesday breaking down the game. Then there's the Wednesday, like, what does this mean moving forward? Then you turn the page to Thursday, and it's like, let's get into the next game. And, like, there's just a natural ebb and flow that creates this, like, generic, like, this, like, I don't know, like, this natural intrigue and interest Mm -hmm. in a game, you know? Baseball, it's tough. Like, what if we were just doing a pure Phillies podcast right now, and we're talking, we're going to be like, you know, Joe Girardi last night went to J.D. Hammer. Is Joe Girardi overmatched in big time moments? Like you can't do that with a baseball game. Like not not just one of one sixty two. You've got to take like a big sample of it. Yeah. But like the NFL, you can just fucking strip down every single bit of it. You know? Yeah, you can't do a daily Phillies podcast. You could do a daily NFL 
podcast or Daily Eagles podcast. I mean, we see them. There's thousands of them out there on uh, on the internet. I going back to the barstool MLB thing. I don't think their their problem is like the barstool element to it. It's like the fact that they can't sell Monday, Tuesday, Thursday games. Like nobody wants them. So like that might kill them more than like partnering with 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 barstool at least barstool will take them and do the most to be interacting and 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 entertaining as they will if you put that on peacock or amazon or twitch or whatnot are you going to get the same engagement probably not you're not what we're seeing though across the board is that television like i i watch tv like i'm 35 years old like i think i'm like right in that like fine line of like i understand newer technologies and can appreciate them but also like i just want to sit down on my couch and watch tv Mm -hmm. um but like we're seeing that TV is dying. Like, yeah. or if, if it's not dying, it's evolving. It's, it's certainly changing, right? Like the streaming services, um, the one-off streaming services, like those things are emerging. Streaming online is emerging. The Twitch like experience is emerging. Like the, the Olympics this year were a catastrophe. Yeah. And like, I know that there are a lot of, um, a lot of different reasons for that. Some people will point to the fact that there were no fans in the stands. Some people will point to the fact that the time delay in America was just too substantial. Like you knew the results of some of these events, eight, 10 hours in advance. Why am I going to sit down and invest my time in it? But at the end of the day, I think more than anything else, we just see that there's not as much, uh, you know, like there's just not as much natural interest in sitting down and watching sporting events for a prolonged period of time. And baseball, when you're running events three, four hours a night, it's just there's just too many other sources of stimulation. Like, and and yeah. I think that that's the biggest thing that hurts baseball. Chris Bryant said there was too many games. Would you agree? So like the old school guy in me, like that loves baseball, loves the like the night after night, like the rhythm of the season, the fact that like you can go down to the bar in Wildwood and like have some beers and like look up at your screen and say like, "Yo, Phils are up three yeah. 2 You know, like. I love that about baseball. Like I, I have to watch every game. Like I do watch every game, but for the average sports fan that like likes baseball, but doesn't live and die by every single pitch that that's nice. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, do they need to play 162 games? Do they need to play 162 games in order to determine a champion? Like, no, they could, they could get away playing 140, 130 if they wanted to. I don't know how you do it because, like, when Monday comes around and the Phillies have an off day, I actually feel, like, happy. Because, like, I, I watch the games because I like to get, you know, clips and shit for social and whatnot and throw them out there. I know you guys do the same thing with Crossing Broad and, and whatnot. Monday just feels like an off day, and it feels so nice to not have to watch, like, another sporting event. Yeah, they were just on a uh, 20 games in 20 days or something like that stretch. Where they basically went three weeks without a day off, and that's tough. You know, it's tough on the players. It's probably tough on the players' families. Uh, it's tough on, on the employees. I mean, hell, if you're, if you're in the middle of a nine-game homestand and you play it straight through, if you're the Phillies' PR people, that's nine straight days you're down at the yard. If you're, uh, you know, in the cafeterias making the yeah. food, you know, uh, you're the parking attendants, you're the ticket takers. Like, it's a grind, you know, day after day after day without – without a break, you know, and listen, we're not drilling concrete here. Like I'll only speak for the writers. Like we're watching a game and writing about it, but yeah, I mean, sure. It definitely can, it grinds you up after a while because you know what you want to say about that. Like when you sit down and you write about a game, you don't know, it may be the first time that someone ever comes across what you write. 
like, especially someone like me, like I'm not as established. Right. So like, I'm more like emerging, trying to like catch up. So I know that like, I'm trying to build an audience. I'm trying to, you know, get people to follow me on Twitter. I'm getting people to, to read and Our readership is growing on a baseball front. So I have to kind of like bring something every night. Like I can't mail shit in. Like mm-hmm. I can't just say like, Hey, you know, the Phillies lost tonight. I didn't really care about this one. So you shouldn't either. Like you've got to bring it every time, you know? Um, and, and like, that's at least my mentality. And, and that like, that can be tough because like, I am pretty like intense about how I cover a game and like to, to match that every single night is, you know, it's like doing your homework. Like when you're yeah. in school, sometimes you write an essay or sometimes you did your homework, but then sometimes you come home after school and be like, I just don't, I just don't care as much tonight. I just don't want to do it. You know? Do you want me to clip that one and put it out there and tag Kyle? Yeah, yeah. No. no, but you're exactly right. And the way, I, and I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass, but I'll do it right now. Where it's like the way I, the reason why I like reading you is because you're the baseball bro. We've talked about it before. You make it easy for me to understand what the hell went on in a game. I'm, I'm very bad with processing games. I can watch nine innings of a game. I can watch four quarters of an Eagles game, four quarters of Sixers games. I'm very bad at regurgitating what just happened. I have probably some low form of ADD, but it's also just not what I like to do. I don't like to break down schemes. I don't like to break down um, shifts in baseball or why Aaron Nola's uh, arm angle was better today than it was the last three starts and whatnot. But I got people like you. I got people like Gelb. I got people like Kyle Newbeck at the Philly Voice that breaks that stuff down for me, and that's important stuff. So thanks for being the baseball bro and making some of us uh, dumb guys feel a little smarter. All you got to do basically when you're covering these games, it's just like this is my philosophy. It's like, what happened? Okay. Let me give the general overview of what happened without giving a freaking play by play. And then like, what do you need to know about what happened? Like, what is the takeaway here? Like when you leave this game, what's the thing that we need to know? And you know, I, I didn't like last night's game, Phillies lose five, nothing. They had nothing after the rain delay. JD hammer gives up a home run and yelled De Los Santos and Matt Moore aren't good. Do we need to relive that? Like, do I need to go into specifics of that? So, like, I stepped away from last night's game and said, like, the thing that matters here is that Aaron Nola, for all of his struggles, pitched really well last night. His last four starts, 28 strikeouts, four walks, ERA, 304. Maybe there's a reason to be optimistic. You know, like, that's the thing you pull out of last night's game. Aaron Nola shoved. He shoved. Uh, Can you walk people through your 104-minute rain delay in the life of Bob Wankel? Yeah, I actually uh, got lucky last night. So a good friend of mine, uh, he's actually one of my assistant coaches uh, with the baseball program, was uh, watching the game with his wife. And uh, so he said, like, what do you do during the rain delay? I was like, well, if we were further along and I actually knew what was going to happen in this game, I'd be writing the story. But we're like in the fourth inning. I have no clue. I'm like, what are you doing? I'll, I'll come walk down. So I took the elevator down to the concourse, met up with him, and I talked to him for about 20, 30 minutes. And then I, I came back up and I grabbed some some soda and just sat there and watched the rain and played on my phone. <laughs> was the buffet good last night? Yeah, so it was it was clutch. Like we you you pay when you go in, but like when you have the rain delays and stuff, the night gets pretty long. Yeah. And so they brought in some chicken fingers. Uh, they brought in some pizza. Like after the rain delay, it was it was clutch. It was uh, definitely definitely needed at that point. When you guys are doing the buffet, I mean, I'm sure you guys are kind of doing it more scattered and whatnot, like the Eagles guys where it's like, all right, at at halftime they bring it in and whatnot. But when you do, like, 
is there like a kind of seniority aspect to it? Like you and Corey Seidman are kind of the same age. So like you're, you might be a little older than him, but he might've been there a little longer covering the team. Like, do you have to respect him? If he goes up, you go first. Does Jim Salisbury, since he's been around since the dark ages, does he go up and get, and get first? Does, does the King, does the King just, just throw bows like he's fucking our test and just is going in there, get some chicken fingers. What's the buffet like? No, it's actually it opens up a couple hours before the game. It's open to like all the stadium workers too, like the people that like work Damn. on television. Like the, there are yeah. a lot of hands in there, Bob Weichel. There's like the television like crews and all like all of those people are up there. So it's not just like media only or anything like that. It's it's a pretty big space. So like the Phillies like interns and people in the front office can come through there and eat as well. Uh, but no, it's it basically like any other restaurant. Like you come in, you give them your card or you swipe in. And you just get in line. So, like, if I get in line and I'm standing there, like, getting my grapes, like, and Mike Schmidt walks in behind me, like, I'm not going to be like, Mike, you first. Like, you're just in line. That's a Phillies legend, Bob. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, that's just that's just what it is. Like, Do you think I, you're on the same – I love this. No, you got to be – this is you, man. We're trying to build that following. We're trying to cultivate that following. You and Mike Schmidt, right now, you guys are equals. I love that. Yeah, I mean, when you get into the Phillies cafeteria, everybody's an equal, you know. That's, Mike Schmidt. <laughs> Now, if the situation were different, like last night, they just put out food. There was none of the, like the process wasn't the same. So there was no payment in line. So like last night, if you walked in there and, you know, Kruk or like Fransky comes in or, you know, like, you know, some of the writers like the, the, that have seniority, I would say, Hey, you guys eat first. I'll take what's left. Oh. I would defer. I would, I would take the scraps at that point, but there is, there is no shot. Mike Schmidt walks up behind you. You're getting your grapes, and you don't turtle, and you're like, you have 563 career home yeah. runs more than I do. Here you go. I think that's one of the guys you probably are like. I've learned not to, like, be overwhelmed, like, you know, over time. Like, the novelty of, like, this is a professional athlete. Uh, that wears off maybe, like, the second hour you cover your first professional game. But there are guys, I mean, like, I mean, to be honest with you, like, I can reach over here. Like, this is a Mike Schmidt autographed baseball. Like, I mean, that's a guy that, yeah, I can be a professional big J journalist and all that, but, like, you see Mike Schmidt and, like, yeah. there's a part of you where, like, you're the 10-year-old boy is like, holy shit, you know, like, that's Mike Schmidt. What's one thing people don't know about the writer's room that, like, when you were in your first couple of days covering the team, that was like, this is, this is fucking awesome. Like, this is really cool. Was there anything like that? Like, is there any like behind the scenes looks that we don't get? Um, I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of pretty cool that you you like kind of just fraternize with like Crucky and and T Mac and Franzen and Wheeler and Schmidt and J Roll when he's there. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So like when I first started covering it, it was like May of 2019. It was the second month of the season. It was Kapler's last year, and like the the. Being in, like, his office, huddled with the reporters and, like, kind of just doing the back and forth and, like, seeing that these guys are, like, human beings. Like, mm -hmm. that's one thing that changes. Like, when you have access and you go down there and you actually cover these guys and you get in front of their faces, like, you see that they're – a lot of times they're good people, but that they're just – they're humans. Like, they think things and they joke about things and, like, they, they aren't just, like, robots that show up to perform on your television. Mm -hmm. And, like, that is one thing that's sort of changed with me. Like, I'm an insane Eagles fan. Like, if they go out and get blown out by the Falcons week one, I'll be on at my TV dropping F-bombs and doing everything that other crazy fans do across the city about sports. But, like, one thing I think I've, I've kind of, like, has dawned on me in, like, recent years is that, like, these people read this stuff. 
Mm-hmm. They see what's being said on Twitter. And, like, it's hard to just totally block that out. You know, like, in all honesty, like, when I was younger, like, I loved Harry Callis. And then Tom McCarthy takes over. And I, like a lot of people, and I wasn't, like, writing at this point or anything – like, I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, like T-Mac, like, come on, man. Like, you know, like being like a little bit critical of like a call or something like that. A, I think he's gotten a lot better. B, by the way, just to like as a quick little like detour, I think he's an awesome football announcer. I think he's a really good really is. football announcer. Like yeah. really good. And I, I actually have come to enjoy him on, on the baseball call. But that being said, like, you know, you'd, like, tweet, like, he's not Harry Callis. Like, no shit, number one. And, like, number two, like, okay. Like, like is that necessary? Like, like, there's people that'll say to me, like, you know, like, dude, you take it easy. Or, like, they say it to media members, like, you take it easy on these guys. I'm like, no, I don't. Like, first of all, I feel like I crush them frequently. But, like, also, like, you have to be fair. Like, you can't just, like, shovel dirt on a team after one error, after one bad game, after one bad series. Like, you got to take a deep breath when you're in that position. You do have to be uh, re- realistic. You're right. But, yeah, like, it, it was cool for me, like, growing up, like, reading Jim Salisbury. Like, yeah, like, are we doing the same job now? Sure. But, like, that's a dude that, like, made me – helped me appreciate the game, you know? Like, when you look at Harry Callis, like, that was a dude that, like, made me love baseball. Like, so, like, even when you get up there and you start looking around and seeing people. Like, John Crook – here's a good John Crook story. When I was in second grade, that I, I might have like actually told you this, but like when I was in second grade, I dressed up. The Phillies were it was the '93 Phillies. They were making their World Series run. I was John Crook for Halloween, so like I put my like red Phillies jersey on. I had a like a small pillow underneath. <laughs> you did the gut. I love it. It wasn't big. It wasn't like an offensive buff, but there was like a little puff. Hey. And then I did like uh, they like painted like a beard on me, like because he had the scraggly beard at the time. And we took a Barbie doll. What's that? Yeah, so we took a Barbie doll, right? We cut the blonde hair off of a Barbie doll and we stapled it inside the back of a red Phillies hat. And so I had the hat and then the flow coming out the back with the Barbie hair. And like, I mean, dude, like that was me as a an eight year old. Like I idolized that guy. And so like when you walk by him now, you're like, well, yeah, I'm a professional. You're a professional. Whatever. Hi, John. But like. You know, the eight-year-old boy, and he was like, yo, like, remember when you dressed up as that dude for Halloween because you wanted to be him when you grew up? I mean, they're, like, that's not lost upon me. I don't disagree. I mean, I just interviewed Jeff Garcia. I was 13 years old. I know exactly where I was when Sheldon Brown delivered that hit in the playoffs and, and when they lost to New Orleans and when they took him on that run. And, like, I remember my dad used to, like, we used to talk about uh, Lieberthal and Morandini because Harry Cass was so good at those names when they would do something well. And whatnot. So, like, yeah, I, I don't blame you. You kind of pinch yourself being like, holy shit, I just, you know, ran into Crocker. I just ran into Schmidt. Or I'm, like, sharing chicken fingers with Steve Carlton. Me and Steve Carlton are doing the Lady and the Tramp over some spaghetti right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. Like, I uh, – there there are, like the, like you said, those players are, are guys. Like, Carlos Ruiz was there this weekend. That's when we were, like, yeah, you know, like, when I was in high school and college, like, I was watching Carlos Ruiz – come up with these huge hits and I'm yelling chooch at my TV as a, a 20 year old dude in, in college that was a Phillies fan, you know? So how good cool. is J roll in the booth? He's really good. He is He's really, really good. good. Um, you know, you were talking about like baseball and television earlier and stuff. Like if baseball had like a, a vehicle where there was like all eyes on it, like J roll would be my analyst. Like I would bring him in for whatever, like mega telecast I did the most important game of the week. I'd be bringing him in. I know ESPN Sunday Night Baseball is a thing, but 
it's not. You know, people don't care about the, that the way they used to. So, what do you think about their whole thing with? Um, bring it, I know it's because the the legends were there, but what you what do you think about that that players lounge they did the NBC Sports? I don't know if you were covering the game, so you might not have been able to see it that much. I really enjoyed it personally, but like I said, I don't need the game broken down from a crook and a T-Mac perspective. I loved it. I thought Carlton was going to say something offensive. I was waiting for it. I had my hand on the uh, on my remote ready to ready to uh, rewind and uh, get it up on social as fast as possible. Yeah, I covered the game, so I did not see it, but I did see a lot of people on Twitter talking about it, and it seemed like it was a 50-50 split. Some people thought it was like refreshing and different and cool, and some people were like, you have the New York Mets here, and you're, you're grinding for first place in the division, and you guys are talking about memory, memory lane instead of the 2-2 pitch. And, like, there are – you know, listen, you can't please everybody. I, I think anytime you get 162 games and you have an opportunity to do something a little bit different, you should take advantage of it. Well, good thing is the people who hated it, they'll be dead in about 10 years. So it won't even matter. <laughs> Did you want to talk about anything else? No, anything I else on your mind? no I, I'm, I'm ready to like, I want to get into preseason. We can, we can hit on the Eagles for a few minutes every week, but like I'm, I'm 150% out on training camp updates via Twitter. I do not care about, uh, you know, his completion percentage in 11 on 11s. Um, but Hey, whatever. I'm excited for football. So that'll be cool. Uh, but no, I'm good, man. Cool. Where can people read you? Where can people find you? Crossingbroad.com, and then you can follow me on Twitter, at Bob Wankel CB. Who won in the 5,000 follower race? You or Russ? Russ nudged me. Yeah, he uh, the the Flyers uh, had a a pretty big story. I think he had Chuck Mm -hmm. Fletcher on his podcast, and getting the GM of the team on your podcast, as it turns out, is good for – good for business. So he he edged me by about five days, I think. So – when does Sam Fold come on yours? Or when does Sam Fold come on here? The Crossed Up podcast is like a, uh, you know, like 1-900 ice cream. Are you familiar with 1-900 nah. ice cream? It's like this, like, bougie, like, ice cream that, that's dropped in the city, like, occasionally. It's really good. But, like, you can't just, like, go up to the window and be like, can I have some ice cream? Yeah. They do, like, on Instagram. They're like, fresh drop. Like, come get it. Uh, it's sort of like what Crossed Up is. Like, there's no schedule. Sometimes it just shows up for the people. And, uh, you know. Just if you ever want to just follow your guests to everything's fine. You just let me know. Okay. I'll take Sam fold. I may be able to squeeze them in. Hey, I want to talk to you about odds jam and their betting software. Now I've lost a lot of bets in the last month, but I haven't lost any money. Actually, I've built my bankroll up so much that I paid for my bar tab the other day. And how did I do this? Because I subscribed to odds jam and their state of the art betting software. And if you want to build your bankroll, you should too using the link in the description of this podcast or YouTube video, wherever you're listening or watching. You know, why does this work? Because sports books, they set their own lines. FanDuel's lines are different than DraftKings lines, which are different than Barstool's lines. And as long as that is the case, there are opportunities to make profit risk-free betting. And Odds Jams, it finds those inconsistencies on those lines with some even returning 40% in profit. So you can test it out too for yourself, seven-day trial, using the link in the description below, whether you're listening on a podcast or whether you're watching on YouTube. If it still doesn't make sense, I also put in an information video in the description below. We are now joined by Mark Henry Jr. What's up, ass clown? Oh, man. I've never, uh, I've never deserved to hear those words more after my pathetic showing last night gambling. Uh, it, it is... Uh, someone needs to take my phone away from me. What when did start- you do on Monday? What did you say? Yeah. Uh, 1-800-GAMBLER needs to be monitoring my activity on my phone. I-, I tweet out, you know, 
I, I tried to get people to stop me. I said, should I gamble on baseball tonight? I really like the Reds. And people, oh, go, go ahead and do it, Mark. Go bet on the Reds. But you can no gamble one- on baseball and not release your picks and just have a nice, a nice day on the couch and just enjoy maybe a little wine, maybe a little beer, maybe a little vodka soda. I don't know what you drink. Maybe, hey, maybe a little vitamins or whatnot on the other, on the other end. You didn't have to release the picks. But then you go ahead and you release the picks and you release Philly's run line plus one and a half. And then what was it, Cincinnati, uh, money just line. money line oh. with oh. like three units, three oh. units. That's not a big play for me, but that, that's like a that's like a that's like a normal play for me. If I have like a play I really like, it's three units, probably the lowest it'll go. But I I really cannot gamble until college football starts. Like I I I need to be stopped at once. You sat here and you told me Monday. You said, "Do not let me bet on baseball. I'm done. I'm retiring from the game of baseball. I just want to enjoy it. I want to watch it." And then you go out there. And you release not one, but two picks. I I might have ruined the Phillies the whole streak. <laughs> I might have. I'm ruined willing it. to. I'm willing to give that one a pass. I still think they're in a they're in an eight game win streak. That was Mother Nature. Yeah, that was Mother Nature just right. being a bitch. Well, I didn't I didn't bring you on to be an ass clown and talk about your gambling losses. <laughs> um, the Sixers, and more importantly, every time we talk, I feel like there's more Ben Simmons news. Now, Kendrick Perkins, he says... It's a possibility it could happen. Ben Simmons is not answering the phone calls. He don't want to be in with the 76ers. And from what I heard, he's, he's willing not to report to training camp. Like, and, and we'll go as far as it takes for him to get out of Philly. So I say with his smoke is fire. Ben Simmons is ready to hold out of camp, potentially the beginning of the season. I've got a couple things here. I can kind of understand Ben Simmons' prerogative. I don't know if so much time has passed and whatnot. They did try to trade him twice. The fans have totally, completely turned on him. Joel and Doc did kind of throw him under the bus in Game 7. His brother's favoriting tweets about Joel Embiid. He's not returning phone calls. But then I'm, a, I'm able to like listen to people when they say this. and then the national media gets in it. And there's this guy named Josh Eberle, and I'm going to guess he's from Canada because he's got a Canada emoji in his, in his Twitter name and whatnot. He tweets and says, the Sixers have humiliated Ben twice. He's not surprised. I'm tired of the national guys getting into the mix who've probably watched 20 games of Ben Simmons over the last five years. Canada wins one NBA title, and now they're allowed to talk about ball. He humiliated himself by not taking a shot in the fourth quarter for four straight games. He humiliated himself passing to Matisse Thibel. This is like talking about, like, someone else's divorce that you are, like, three people away from. Like, you have no knowledge of the situation whatsoever. You've never hung out with them. You know them from your best friends, cousins, sisters, brother who's getting now divorced and whatnot. And that's like you giving your opinion. What do you think about Perk? What do you think about the whole thing? Because then people are also like, don't believe anything Perk says. And I actually did Google, has Kendrick Perkins ever broken news? And it doesn't return a lot of search results. So what are you thinking, Mark? Yeah, I wouldn't put a ton of weight into 
Moses Moses Modi Moses Moody <laughs> Kendrick Perkins. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know how how uh, legitimate his reporting is, but it's not like he reported something that is unbelievable. Right. It's definitely within the realm of possibility, and it doesn't seem that far out of character for Ben Simmons to do something like that. And I don't even, I kind of don't disagree with your initial point where understanding where he's coming from. I don't necessarily agree the animosity towards, I don't understand it, the animosity towards Joel Embiid, if there is that. And I'm just reading into, like you said, his brother's favorites and, mm-hmm. you know, certain comments. So I don't understand what the animosity would be there. I feel like Joel has done, an incredible job of taking pressure off of Ben, especially in the media over the last couple of years. And, you know, obviously that he did, he did kind of blame him a little bit after game seven, but uh, it's really hard for me to accept that Ben is going to, you know, go on a crusade against Joel Embiid, who probably like, who seems like he's done everything in his power, especially from a personality standpoint to mesh with Ben Simmons. So that is just a shame. And going to the Josh Everly point, uh, that's a guy that I have had many a Twitter war with, oh. uh, Josh Everly. I, I, if you just search my at and Josh Everly's at, there is a ton of results that will come up uh, of us yelling at each other. I, that's actually not even the Josh Everly tweet from yesterday about the Sixers that I thought you were going to reference. He also said, and then deleted, that mm. Embiid's two most memorable moments in the NBA – might be him getting choked by Collins on the way to a dunk and watching in terror as Kawhi's winner bounced four times before sending him home. That is such wow. a – it is so – he is such a hater of Joel Embiid and has for so long been like, Ben Simmons is the guy the Sixers should build around, not Joel. And Joel has a limited prime and Joel has this. He, like, didn't rank Joel Embiid in the top ten coming into this year, I remember. Like, he is just an absolute hater of Joel Embiid. And any and Ben Dietrich, who I think is a really smart guy, he loves Ben Simmons. I'm sure you've seen some of his pro-Ben Simmons tweets. And I think he has a point with where he's coming from. But I don't think Ben Dietrich would go as far to say as Joel Embiid isn't a guy to build around and the Ben Simmons is a more valuable piece to the team. Josh Everly is, has been wrong for so many years about the Sixers that this is just a yet another block, yet another domino in that uh, in that scenario. I, he is just an absolute hater. I don't know if, like you said, it's a Canada thing or a Raptors thing, but it's been going on for years, and I had to unfollow him like a year or two ago. Yeah, I see you going back and forth with him about the Raptors stuff. Uh, if Raptors, Josh Everly tweeted, if Raptors close this in six convincingly, I'd guess the lasting memories of this finals are. KD coming back early and hurting the Achilles. Toronto fans waving him out and cheering as it happened. Pretty depressing vibe getting up this morning. This is I'm guessing this is a Toronto Raptors fan. He's from Canada. And then you tweeted, cry about it a little more. Your beloved fan base that you've based this whole run and your takes around acted like bloodthirsty douchebags. Deal with it. Your fans <laughs> are the same as the shitty ones you would condemn from other cities. <laughs> uh, I... I let that guy have it because the whole rap, the whole Raptors run, he was talking about how the, the Raptors fans were the best fans in sports. We the North, all that stuff. It's like, oh yeah, you bloodthirsty heathens were, were booing while Kevin Durant was writhing in pain on the ground. Okay. I hear you third place on the MVP ballot and Paul George gets the vote and you just tweet Paul George is on an eight seat and you still refuse to recognize Joel Embiid. Unreal. <laughs> you're getting some good engagement on these two. People are agreeing with you. It's because ever like I think other people come at him about it too. Like he has ridiculous, ridiculous opinions. Like 
Uh, I, I can't. I, I absolutely cannot stand Josh Everly. He, he gets under my skin. He just he does this thing where like, do you ever see it on social media? Where a lot of the like a lot of media guys will do it, a lot of sports radio guys will do it. Well, they'll just ask a question. This is one of his. Hey, fave Bron play ever, and it'll get like a hundred and like some comments. It'll get a hundred and some quote tweets. It'll get a bunch of favorites and whatnot. This is his whole game. Like he just asks questions the whole time. You just respond back to it. Like most fun you've ever had watching any team that did not end up winning even one round in the playoffs. And you said Joel's rookie year, and he's got like eighty three replies on that. I, I just he, I he hate does like those a lot people. Of, yeah, he does a lot of polls, which I, yeah. I remember that's what like I followed him about because I thought that was cool. I'm addicted to polling on Twitter, as you know. Mm. Uh, so I, I thought that was cool. But then once you see the content, it is just, whew, I cannot stand that guy. He looks like he doesn't know if he should be from Canada or he should be from Australia. <laughs> he looks like he's confused. I can't say anything about Australia right now. Um Josh Giddy has my phones tapped. Uh, he, had a, he had one summer league dunk and everyone lost their minds. So the country of Australia is ready to uh, wring my neck out. Yeah, Josh Giddy's about to piss on your grave. So the Ben Simmons shooting video came out. Everybody knew it was coming out. We knew we were going to get one. It's the second one of the year. You know when, like, you're having a catch with a puppy and you have, like, a ball and you fake like you throw the ball and the puppy, you know, runs – 100 meters down, and is like, where's the ball? Comes back to you. You do it again, blah, blah, blah. Well, now the puppy is five years old, and you're trying to fake it out and throw the ball. And now it doesn't bite for it, and it just looks at you, and it's like, throw the fucking ball. This is us with the Ben Simmons video. Once he came out with the Ben Simmons video, it was hilarious. People just absolutely roasted him. I saw this meme before we got on, and I, uh, I screenshot it. So give me two seconds. It was... Basically, uh, Ben Simmons, like a circular Ben Simmons kind of uh, meme where it's like, shows no type of aggression or improvement on offense to begin the season, starts playing aggressive right before all-star break, becomes an all-star, doesn't play to the level fans expect him to play in the playoffs, they want him out, post a jump shooting video, fans get excited for next year. There's a little bubble says that, like, we are here. It's like, you are here in, like, the mall and whatnot. That's Ben Simmons to a T. Like, you just described Ben Simmons' five years. All we ask, and this goes back to the people who just chime in from the national media who don't understand when you put, like, your your sweat, your blood, your tears into a team, when you, like, focus so much energy on a team for the last five years, he's your number one overall pick, then he goes out and he posts these jump shot videos, and he doesn't shoot in the, in the, in the regular season or, or at all. It hurts. It drains you. It's It's the worst, and... Now with this perk comment, we're not too far from Clutch coming out and forcing a trade if Daryl can't get anything done. I mean, this is the same Clutch that Anthony Davis had two years left on his deal, and they got him out of there. I know Ben's got like four, don't get me wrong. But you know LeBron, who's somehow involved in Clutch, and the NBA continues to let him get away with that, He's, you know, a couple months away from making a snide comment about, I can't believe, you know, they're holding a hostage, Ben, down in Philadelphia. I'm actually a little worried that we're not going to get our return on investment because Clutch has so much power in this league, and they could just throw it out to some of their clients and whatnot, and they could make some passive-aggressive comments about what's going on with Ben Simmons down there. So, fuck it. You know, if this does become a pissing contest and, and our leverage is screwed, I hope he goes to Sacramento, or I hope he goes to Minnesota. 
And if we have to get De'Aaron Fox, and if we have to get picks in some shitty player from Minnesota, it's going to suck. But I'd rather have Ben be in exile than be in, like, L.A. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay, uh, go Because I, I, I think maybe it's just because the Lillard three-team trade does seem like it has legs, and maybe it's Is, because... It's, sorry to cut you off, but, like, I, the one I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, you probably saw one different if, if I am. I saw uh, Dame to the Sixers, Ben to uh, uh, the Golden, Golden State. State Warriors, Wiseman, Kaminga, and Picks to Portland? And uh, Yeah, and Maxi. And, okay. and, prob- and probably maybe Moody. Uh, probably either Moody or Wiseman or Kaminga or Wiseman. Uh, you'll, you'll pro- and then, you know, maybe Matisse. Who knows? Like, that's where that's I'm sure that's what's holding it up right now. I'm sure okay. the Sixers are trying to be like we'll we'll give either Matisse or Maxi and picks, and I'm sure Golden State is trying to do anything they can to not give up Kuminga, Moody, and Wiseman yeah. along with Wiggins to make salaries work. So I think it's all just chess right now. Trying everyone trying to get what they want. Portland trying to get everything. Uh, I, I think it's just a balancing act and that's what happens in these superstar trades they don't just go down right away and it also like we've said before on here it it doesn't help that Damian Lillard is not uh you know expediting this process with a with a media campaign or a trade request or whatever it may be that would really speed this up I'm not worried yet about clutch uh also because I if Ben's going to force his way out, I don't think Ben's forcing his way out to Minnesota, or I, I don't think Ben's forcing his way out to, you know, uh, Toronto. Or maybe Toronto he would. I, I don't know. I don't know where he wants to go. But Like a shitty place where, like, because Jason Dumas had that report where it's like he's a socialite. He wants to be around, like, happening areas and whatnot. So you're exactly right. He's not going to Memphis, Tennessee, or he's not going to, like you said, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. No. So I, I think – he wants to go to Golden State. I, I think mm-hmm. I think Ben's heard the three-team rumors as much as we have, and I think he'd also probably be fine going to Portland. Like, I, I think he's fine with those trades, and I, I think he'll let Daryl work on that. I think Clutch will let Daryl work on that. I mean, the whole <laughs> – Clutch and Ben have been trying to act like they still want to be here. I, I don't know if, that, if that's, you know, to help the Sixers or if that's just – PR. I don't know what that is, but it does seem like that illusion is kind of washed away in the last week or so uh, with some of the reports. But uh, the one thing going back to Ben's workout videos, like if this is kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't situation though, isn't it for Ben? Like it, it really feels like no matter what Ben does, it's going to get picked apart and it's going to be made fun of. And it's going mm-hmm. to be the talk of the town if he's posting videos in a pool, he's, you know, why aren't you jump? Why aren't you working on your jumper? Why aren't you shooting? If he's at Wimbledon, why aren't you working on your jumper? Why aren't you shooting? When he's working on his jumper and working on shooting, it's like, you've done this every year. It's like, so I do kind of understand if I was him, I would look at that and be like, what the fuck am I supposed to do, man? Like, I I don't know. I don't know what he's supposed to do right now. And that's a shame. I, I, like I've said before, I just don't, I, I can't muster up, like, I, I don't hate the guy. Like, I, yeah. I still, I still in my heart of hearts believe that this could have worked out. Uh, I, I think Joel and Ben with the right surroundings and without the millions of failures that we can point to from the post-Sam Hinkie, pre-Daryl Morey front office, uh, I really think that those two could have won a championship. And I, I think we've seen that with the way that they've competed with the champions in Toronto and whatever. I, I think that they had the opportunity to do that, but 
with all of the mistakes that they made around those two guys and surrounding them with the best possible way to fit their talents, it didn't happen. And I, I do think that it's gone too far. It's too far gone. Ben Simmons is not going to be here on day one. I've said that a million times. Now, is that going to be he's traded or he's holding out now? Who knows? Yeah. But I, I still think we'll get this done before October. And I still think Ben's going to be on Golden State or Portland, probably more so Golden State at this point. But uh, And I think he's happy about that. I think he wants to go to Golden State. And I think everyone would be happy in that situation. Just to poke a little bit more holes in the Kendrick Perkins situation, like if he did hold out, I don't think it would make much sense. Just play ball. If you play ball, you show that you're back, you'll get out of here faster. Um, how do you think Draymond and Ben would be on the same team? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh is Clay Thompson and Steph Curry gonna have fifty shots a game each? I mean, I guess if you say that Steph Clay and you know whoever they're throwing out that most Moody in this scenario, whatever Steph clay and another shooter. If you put them on the floor with Ben and Dre and Dre plays the five, Ben plays the four. Uh, and that gives them such teeth defensively. Uh, and Draymond, you know, he can shoot a little bit. So it's not like a complete zero from beyond the arc, like Ben Simmons is. So I, I guess you could say, maybe you try to, you know, spread out Ben and Dre's minutes that that could be something that they do but I really do think that a Steph Clay a wing that can shoot Ben Dre lineup is a title contending lineup Mm -hmm. uh so I I don't I'm not too worried about it I think Ben will go there and figure it out I I think the the defensive versatility that Ben would bring Golden State would be downright scary um and i don't like they'd be able to hide steph on whoever they wanted to at that point so uh i I think it'd be interesting to watch and i don't know if ben will start shooting threes in golden state and i don't even necessarily know if he would have to uh it's interesting the the shame of it is and i'll go back to the workout video i've always thought that the jumper doesn't look that bad that's the that's the that's the frustrating part i'm not someone who sits around going ben needs to shoot Ben needs to shoot. We need him to see, we need to see him shoot threes. I have much more concerns about him not being afraid to get to the line and not being afraid to get to the hole. And that opens out his drive and kick. I think that is a much more important thing than just go shoot a three coward. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's that simple, but if it was that simple, you look at the motion and it's hard not to be like, this looks fine to me. Like uh, the motion looks fine. The feet are a little weird. They're a little inverted, but the, hands the, the motion, ball, his off hands on the ball wise, a little too long. Yeah. I mean, he's shooting with the wrong hand, but yeah. I, <laughs> uh, whatever. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as bad as you'd think for someone who doesn't shoot it and refuses to shoot it. Before I let you go, can we overreact about the summer sixers a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Dude, that team was so much fun. Like Tyrese Maxey, like, going off for like 20 plus like Neil Oshie, you better make the deal before Tyrese Maxey gets, gets out of trade talks. Um, I know you can look at the score and be like, wow, they're very good defensively, but take the score out of it. Holy shit. Like deflections everywhere, getting in guys shorts and whatnot. They were just, they just rendered the Mavericks incapable. Could this summer Sixers team get a play in game in the M- NBA playoffs? So we just threw them out there for an 82 game season. Cause I'm starting to think they might. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it probably depends on the rest of the team outside of Maxi and Isaiah Joe, who looks like who looked like legitimate, legitimate NBA players in that game. But you're not going to like my answer here uh, in terms of the Summer Sixers. 
I don't know what this is. And I don't know, like you, you pointed this out last week. I do have a little like melancholy in me about the Sixers while talking about the Sixers and kind of thinking about the Sixers and the Ben Simmons situation has me all down. I don't know what it is. I'm the biggest summer league guy there is. I can't get into it. Like, I don't like in general across the league, I'm struggling watching these summer league games that I usually like long for. And I, I don't know if it's a Ben Simmons thing or if it's just the, the Sixers are in limbo. So I don't know if Maxie's even here thing. Like maybe, maybe you don't love ball as much as you thought you did. Yeah. Maybe I'm not a true Hooper anymore. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a pigskin man, but uh, I, you look at the Sixers and I, I mean, Springer looked rough in the first half. I thought he looked good in the second half. Yeah, yeah, he looked like a rookie for sure. Uh, but I, he definitely looked awesome on defense. On defense, uh, I yeah. thought he, I thought he was an absolute bulldog. But uh, I'm pulling, I'm pulling up the box score because I, kn- I did not realize that Paul Reed had 20. Or no, that's plus minus. Never mind, Jesus. But he I did was gonna co- say if, he caught someone. He caught yeah, a body. Well, he, he's b-ball Paul. He's gonna do that. But I, uh, I, Isaiah Joe and Tyrese Maxey really stood out. Everyone else, you know, filled in the roles. Rajon had a nice dunk. Uh, like you said, b-ball Paul caught a body, but. I don't – I'm not as sure on Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed, Rajon Tucker, th- those kind of guys, as the nerdy Sixers Twitter yeah. quotient is. Uh, they think Paul Reed's the backup center. They think Isaiah Joe can, you know, step right in and shoot 40% from three. And I wasn't really high on either guy, Paul Reed at the Paul or Isaiah Joe at Arkansas, so – uh, I probably have to see a lot in the NBA to really change my opinion on those guys. But Tyrese Maxey, I guess it also maybe I'd be having more fun if I didn't expect this from Tyrese mm. Maxey. Like I've been the biggest Tyrese Maxey guy since he was 17 years old at this point. Like I love Maxey. I think he can be a De'Aaron Fox level player and that type of player. Um, so when I see him do this stuff, it doesn't surprise me. It's kind of like, yeah, you look at his per 36 numbers, it looks like this is the kind of stuff he should be able to do. Now, was there stuff in his bag that where it wasn't in his bag last year, like the the step back three going towards the sideline? That was pretty crazy to see. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely not something he would have attempted before. But, yeah, I, I think Maxi looked incredible. I think he should probably be put in bubble wrap and taken out of summer league so he, nothing happens. Um, but, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of guys in summer league – like sophomores who are playing who absolutely shouldn't be like Desmond Bain, Patrick Williams, Emmanuel quickly, Tyrese Maxey, like all those guys playing, like they had too much success in the NBA and they are like so much better than these guys that I usually don't feel like that in summer league. Like I usually don't feel like I notice as many guys that are just on such another level, but uh, those guys really seem like they have outgrown the summer league. Do you have any ass clown bets for anyone tonight? Absolutely not. And if I do, if I do, Throw my phone into the Schuylkill. Like, I, I cannot be doing this anymore. And Are there any baseball. NFL preseason games or anything? Oh, I'm no. not betting on a preseason. I'm not a preseason <laughs> guy. I'll, 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 I'll play some futures probably tonight if I, if I feel like it. But I, uh, I really – it's not about money. It's about, the, it's about the spiral it sends me to on Twitter. I turn into a crazy, depressed person when these bets hit. I'm used to being – a pretty damn good gambler. Like I, it is so foreign to me to have just like a month long of just, of just terribleness. Like I, this is the longest stretch of gambling at this point that I've been bad on for a while. I haven't had any other sport to help me out, but sheesh. Uh, you can follow me at Mark Henry jr. If you want to get my terrible bets, but uh, that shouldn't happen until the beginning Let, of September. Let's just read a couple tweets. So Mark releases his picks 
at 6.30. Two hours later, that Braves home run was a monster shot. No chance the Reds win. So now you're already just burying your bet. 2-2 two, two game, by the way, when that happened. Then you retweet the Adam Duvall home run that, that tied it up 2-2. Two, two. This sent me into a spiral. <laughs> it did. It did. And then a special place in hell for Heath Hembry and Amir Garrett. Oh. And then Amir Garrett is not the bad motherfucker that he thinks he is. You just walk Stephen Vogue with the bases loaded after an 0-2 count. Retire from baseball. Oh, I love the spiral. An hour later, thinking about making a sad man's late-night trip to Wendy's once the Reds lose. I can relate to that. It happened. I'm a, we have a right aid right down the street. I've made a lot of sad man uh, ventures down the street to get some Cheez-Its. Extra toasted. Um, All right, Portnoy. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, the extra toasted is fucking amazing. I think he, I think he goes for the extra toasted, too. Really? I just discovered them. They're so <laughs> awesome. Like, I'll, eat, I'll, I'll crush a whole fucking box. It's insane. We're not done yet, though. You're still spiraling. <laughs> that strike three call on Vado is all-time bad. The Cincinnati Reds are dead to me. And then I'm the worst baseball gambler in the world. Stop me next time I try to gamble on baseball, please. When you sat here on Monday and you were like, I am never gambling on baseball until college football comes back. I'm not gambling for the rest of the season. And then I appreciate it, though, man. I like following them. I like following your spiral more, I'll, I'll admit it. it. Like, I feel like when I'm hot or when I'm not even hot, not, not even hot, when I'm just normal gambling and I'm in a tie game in baseball, basketball, football, whatever it is, I'm not tweeting about – how a team is dead to me. Like I was done with that game at two, two because of how many losses I've seen when I got a two, nothing lead and I saw it evaporate to two, two, I was like, Oh, well, there's absolutely no chance they're scoring another run. And they did. They barely got on base again. Like I, they scored in the second inning, barely got on base again. And are you like, in your head? A hundred percent, a hundred thousand million percent. I need to stop looking. Well, it doesn't matter because I'm not betting on baseball anymore. So it's irrelevant on what I do and what I don't do. But I need to stop looking at pitcher versus batter stats. They're, they're bullshit. They're fugazi. And except for the fact that Nola did end up looking good against the Dodgers. But whatever. Um, they're fugazi, and I trust them too much. I'm a slave to the stats, and I, I need to stop being one. Hey, listen, it's, it's like you're one of the best players on the Phillies. You know, sometimes you need a day off. Sometimes you need a day of rest. You might be hitting eight homers, batting 330. OPS is is 900-plus, 1,000-plus in the last 30 days. You need a day off. Everyone needs a day off. You might need two. I might need a month. Uh, need yeah. a month. Hey, college football is right around the corner. NFL football is right around the corner. We win it all back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad I didn't tell your picks last night. I almost did. Thank you for not. Well, that's Mark <laughs> Henry. Where can people find you? I know you already plugged it, but plug it again. Uh, you can follow me at Mark Henry Jr. underscore or at Tough cover pod on Twitter.